right. So thank you guys for joining me today. This is the second roundtable for the Separate and Unequal podcast. Um, and so today's episode um, was really looking at kind of intersecting stories about violence in education, you know, broadly. Um, so my two guests today are Sean Johnson, the owner and operator of um, an organization that's called Quad for Life, which does a wide variety of things, but really focused on like uh, mentoring and working with youth and community activities and activism. And then I also have um, Liam Bird. And Liam is a post-secondary coach with the Network for College Success here at the University of Chicago. And I'm going to have both of them just kind of fill you in a little bit on what they're doing, their connections, their what a post-secondary coach is, what Quad for Life is, so we can get an idea of what you gentlemen's perspectives are for today. So you want to fill us in a little bit on Quad for Life? Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm raised in Inglewood, started a business, Quad for Life, where we do meditate, mediate, and mentor. My work that I really do is in Inglewood. I didn't have too many mentors growing up. I made a lot of decisions and things that I shouldn't have did. If I would have had mentors, they could have detoured me in a different direction. Now I turned into a business. I work inside an old tour school. I do a yoga and meditation at several other schools. One of them is Montessori School of Englewood. And I believe with yoga and meditation, it brings inspiration. And it brings a dedication into the kids of understanding that their response is their responsibility. My passion is to see these kids really get a chance to play high go see, play in the streets, mm-hmm. water balloon fights. All the great things I did were coming up. And so that's why I started it. And that's why it's something that is dear to my heart and something that's my life to do. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. All right, Liam, tell us a little bit about you. Definitely. Um, so happy that you asked me to be on this program, and I work down the hall from you, <laughs> and um, I feel like I'm really happy to learn more about some of the work you're doing. I work with the Network for College Success as a post-secondary coach. Um, we support schools, mostly neighborhood schools in Chicago, all over the place. Um, I'm in. I'm at Kenwood, um, Steinmetz, Lakeview, Farragut. So geographically, we're not necessarily working in the same parts of the city, mm-hmm. but the, the goal is to build the college-going culture in the schools where we work and to wrestle with questions of equity. How are we serving Black and Latino students, particularly um, given the demographics of the city and... Currently, I'm also working with um, Surge, and that's been a really wonderful opportunity to work with other educators of color to think about um, issues of equity in Chicago and what is our role, how are are we perpetuating that in the institutions where we are. Mm -hmm. And that has actually led me to engage in a listening campaign in Inglewood around what are educational priorities. And I started to go around and talk to some elected officials just about um, how do they see what happened in 2013 with all the school actions, six Mm -hmm. schools, and um, 2018. And it's fantastic that there's this $80 million school, but then there's um, a lot of dialogue about how involved 
was the community in that decision. And so the purpose of my listening campaign is really to just understand the work that is ongoing, the work that you have been involved in, and to think about how on the South and West side, there are a lot of Black and Latino people who are unhappy with how the city is being run by the mayor. Mm -hmm. And so what would it look like to try to form coalition between those stakeholders? And I think there have been a lot of efforts. So I'm, I'm uh, with my listening campaign, I'm ultimately trying to figure out how I can fit in there mm-hmm. and support that, on, that work that's happening. Fantastic. Thank you both. You both bring really important perspectives. So I'll start with a little bit about just what I was thinking when I was working on this episode. It was actually very difficult. I struggled with how to tell a story about students who experience violence without reiterating um, false ideas about what it means to go to school in Chicago. Then to also like bring light to what's going on and the different ways that people are trying to work with students. Um, and that trauma is a really big consideration when you're addressing issues that students have when they've experienced, you know, uh, violence firsthand or even secondhand, right? Through other people that they've known. So I just wanted to hear from both of you guys, what struck you, what questions were brought up for you, what holes were left that weren't answered or investigated? Um, just kind of process the episode a little bit. Um, one that came up for me was the principal of Tilden, Marie Sweeney, talking about um, the utilization or the under-enrollment of the high school over time and how he is not even worried about school closing per se, but that he knows a lot of principals are concerned with that, and he's really just... Um, trying to keep the high school functioning optimally mm-hmm. while he's the principal there. I, uh, when I used to work with the Emoja Student Development Corporation, and they both organizations worked at Tilden, so I had an opportunity to work alongside him, and he's definitely a warrior mm-hmm. for his school and uh, someone that I deeply respect. And I think I saw Chicago Tribune had that list of 30 schools that they are underutilized now. Tilden was on that list. There's other um, mostly black schools on the south and west side that are on that list. And I think what comes up for me is what are ways that we can try to address that systemically? Is that, is that all about the mayor? Is that the elected school board? Or what are the ways that we can stop those attacks on Mm -hmm. communities of color? Mm -hmm. Because um, it doesn't seem like there's any real guard against that with our current makeup where the mayor controls and appoints the school, uh, school board. The school board rubber stamps a lot of those decisions and then boom. 50 schools closed um, in a matter of months because that was what he determined would be best. And then even in terms of Inglewood, I was talking to Sonia Harper yesterday, and she said she feels that gentrification, um, even with things like the Whole Foods coming in right now, that paired with 
the four schools closing in the last two years, that that's making way for gentrification and that this is just a larger master plan. Um, sounds conspiratorial, mm. but it's real. Mm. Um, and I wonder in our work, even at the Network for College Success, how we can insert into that dialogue a little bit more to say, to, to speak to some of these issues that are above all of us and out of our mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One of the things that has struck me, it feels like a game you can't win when you um, decide if school should be open by how many students are sitting in there because um you know, it happens where the enrollment just tends to go down and down and down for a variety of reasons. And um, at some point, like the absence of students in the school should have, like those students have value, even though they're not sitting in the classrooms anymore. Um, And I feel like we don't compensate schools for functioning with a lower enrollment like we don't financially compensate them in a way that would allow them to bring in the additional resources for the students that are left behind because those students often have higher needs than the students who were able to select into a different school and so a school like Tilden even though it's you know by definition severely under enrolled they're doing really well by their students and so it seems like there should be something else that goes into the equation but Shango, talk to me about, because you brought up Inglewood, and Inglewood is going through like another influx with school closures again. Um, what is that like for the the community as a parent who has a, a child in Inglewood or other parents who have children? There's only so many school options. That's a good question. One thing I do love about Inglewood is that it is just so transparent. Sonia Hart, me, a couple more of them I know that started organizations. We come from Inglewood. Sonia Harper came from living on, I think, it's 61st or 60th in Woods. She went from that to Springfield to state representative. She's a state rep. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot that didn't start an organization that's doing great in Inglewood. We got parades going on. We got the first peace center that you could say. A young lady from Inglewood who's a native of Inglewood, born and raised, started it. Inglewood is a community where it's all in need is that jump. Like another car that needed jump. All you have to do is give us the instruction man. All you have to do is give us a tutor. Give us a guide. All you have to do is direct us in the way it should go. And we're going to get it done. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe it is. Community first start with unity. Like I said, I'm born and raised in Inglewood. I have learned how to be a professional. Mm-hmm. I have learned how to understand another person to be in their shoes. I have learned empathy. I have learned how to deal with a, a situation or a problem with a child. I have learned how to do all of that. A, a, a young boy that once was a gangbang, once sold drugs, once did a lot. Now I'm meditating. I'm teaching the word of God. I'm doing meditation. I'm doing yoga. I have over 290 hours of Kundalini yoga. That's the mother of yoga. And I have kids that's in Inglewood that after every session say, Know the truth, speak the truth, be the truth. Satnam. Satnam is true identity. They show the true identity in Inglewood. And when you sit down and talk with somebody, I don't care who you pick, you can stop on the side. It could be a young, a man pushing a cart and to go recycle. Mm-hmm. It could be a man in the alley that's doing the mechanic. It could be a young lady that's selling snowballs. It could be kids uh, doing um, playing baseball. It could be people babysitting. When you talk to them, you feel inspired. 
That is what made people come in Inglewood and say, this is where we want to start trying to transform Inglewood. I mean, transform the city. The mayor mm-hmm. didn't been there. Now with the schools closing down, I don't think that is right. And at the same time, I don't think that it's wrong. I just think we're not thinking. That, that's perfectly said. That's plain and simple because when you come in somewhere and close something down, where did you get the evidence? Where did you get the information from? Who did you talk to? I haven't seen a lot of these so-called stars mm-hmm. that say they represent Chicago, they represent Inglewood. But we have stars that are speaking about the vines in Inglewood, and I have not met none of them yet. I haven't seen none of them in Inglewood. And if they do come in Inglewood, they have so much security that you can't even get to them. They know what spots to pick to go to. They stay for a minute. They take their picture, howdy duty, and they up out the door. But the people that's in Inglewood, I would get an autograph and take a picture with them any day. Because the work what they are doing, they are really meeting the kids. Mm-hmm. They sowing and they reaping. I don't get caught up in the mayor race. Mm-hmm. I don't get caught up in the alderman race. I don't get caught up in none of them race, but I can tell you one thing. The ones that have the power and the ones that can make something happen, I don't see it happening in Inglewood. I see those that have made things happen with whatever they can make it happen with. Mm-hmm. And they're doing great work. If they just support, if the organization, if all of us can get support in Inglewood, I believe we could take Inglewood and any other community mm-hmm. to where it's supposed to be. At. I think that, I, I, what you just said about because I've been wondering this, like, you know, it seems like Inglewood has this, all of the ingredients, right, for this this beautiful transformation that you keep talking about. How do you take that, or can you take that, right, and model that for other communities that also have the ingredients there, but just haven't had the recipe or the leadership yet to, to get there? Because you're talking about, you know, take other communities, too. So what does that look like in your head? Like, well, that's, that's a good question. Like you said, I... You look at certain communities, they have one alderman, and the community's doing great. We have six aldermans. Six. And I think the pay is over, what, a hundred some thousand? That's over 600,000 right there. And none of them has got together, unified, and bought one property, hired six, seven guys to contract it, hire another crew to do the landscaping, hire another crew to do the security. See, we can get jobs going mm-hmm. on because we started. Inglewood got so many vacant lots and so many abandoned houses. We can start from scratch. The greatest, I call them ministers, is the principals, the assistant principal, and the teachers, the safe passage workers, the lunchroom helpers, the engineer, the janitors, the, the, the neighbor that walks the kid next door to school, mm-hmm. the other neighbor that picked them up. That's called neighborhood. That's called unifying. I cry every graduation. To see them kids graduate, to see them that <clears throat> on their way to another level of life, finna travel through the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. But we are the ones that got to make sure their mind is right. Liam, can you talk about when you're working with, because you're like exclusively in high schools, right? So post-secondary coach is exclusively in high schools. And O'Toole is elementary school, right? So it's almost like your students leave, you know, your kids leave and... You know, they're going to end up someplace. And they might end up with somebody like Liam who's there to help them along the way. And they might not, you know. And so when you're working with teachers and practitioners in the school, what do they tell you that they need? What are the biggest challenges? 
So someone like Shango, who's investing so much in these young people, you can only take them through eighth grade, right? At least through the school. You still you have your quad for life, but in the school, it only goes through eighth grade. And then they're handed over to somebody else, you know? So it's a leap of faith that they're going to get what they need in those, like, high school years. And so the practitioners, educators at high schools, what what do they need to make sure that the students who want that opportunity to go on beyond high school can get it? That's a great question. Um, there was the consortium report potholes on the road to college success, which talks about all of the barriers students are facing to and through college and how do we as educators try work to uproot those so that students are not um, um, getting trapped because going into their senior year, the research found 90% of students had plans to go um, for a re related to college and that um, the final number is about 18% who grad end up graduating with that bachelor's degree. And so let's backward map and say, what are all the points where we're losing our students? Mm -hmm. Some of them are falling off in the summer. It's called summer melt. And that happens when something happens. They don't enroll in class um, and they don't go, they don't pay the dorm fee, uh, et cetera. But then just figuring out what all those steps are, but that's only the senior year. We got to go mm -hmm. all the way back to mm -hmm. the freshman year. What is happening in the ninth grade? Does the student understand the importance of their academic qualifications in relation to the college that they want to go to, for example? Um, and then also how, while emphasizing rigor and high expectations for students of color, how are we also allowing their agency and voice to factor into the situation so that we're not saying, you, I'm pretty sure this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're sort of playing this game where we are make, taking away their agency mm -hmm. in the process of trying to empower them for the future. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is what a lot of the educators I work with are struggling with. Specifically, we have a lot of, we don't have that many black and Latino educators who are, look like the students who um, they're teaching. And that is also a struggle. Um, how do we make sure that things are culturally relevant? How do we make sure we're, again, we're not telling students what they ought to be doing with their lives, and then you add that layer of race to it, and it becomes increasingly problematic. So I think a lot of adult educators are trying to examine their own implicit bias. Mm -hmm. How am I showing up? How am I treating this group of black males differently than this group of white females? Mm -hmm. And like, how am I not even aware of the fact that I'm doing that every day? And that's not some somebody else. That's everybody's problem. That's my problem. That's we show up and we can either pay attention to those ways that we're treating people differently or we can just sort of gloss it over. And that's um, that just is the status quo. So I think on the post-secondary front, it's that's where a lot of the conversations live. We try to think about 
what are tools that can empower the youth, um, or how can we get information directly to them? How can we try to get a baseline of what is their interest for the future, and how can we help schools think about that system-wide and their own role as leaders? Mm-hmm. So um, we're just about out of time for this roundtable, but I want to know if there's anything... Anything that left you either wanting to say more about or if there's any last little comments that you guys have? Yeah, I, I love what he, me and him have to talk more. <laughs> because I think one of the problems we're not understanding is every time we go on TV and with President Obama, we made who these kids love important. Mm-hmm. But nobody is segueing them into that. When you go to school and you as a part of a, a family that's doing great, you told as a little kid that this is going to be your company one day. Mm-hmm. Or like if you're a prince and you you have a son, you already know where your son going to go. No one is speaking to these kids, and these kids want to look what they call fresh. Mm-hmm. These kids want Michael Jordan, but I, ha- I never heard a message out from Michael Jordan to them. Mm-hmm. We have first black female this, first black male this. These playing tennis, playing basketball, playing football. So that's who these kids want to be. Mm-hmm. When they turn their TV on, they see them at the commercial and everything. I think we have to find a way to let them know that you're going to school. Mm-hmm. And he'll tell you, you're going to school for a reason. In Inglewood, most of our kids got to go beat buckets for money. Mm-hmm. They don't have uncles and stuff taking them to Google, taking them to Apple, taking them to go work for the company and do intern. They don't have that. They don't. They they never visit the University of Chicago. They don't know what a black professor look like. They don't know what none of that because they never see them. These kids that screaming out for help, and we gotta learn how how to help them. Mm-hmm. You can't help the same way. If I'm drowning, I need you to help me with throwing a raft. And that's what we gotta understand. We diagnosing and we giving the wrong antidote to them, and they're saying I don't want this. And like it's the old saying, no one no one cares about what you know until they know that you care. And I haven't seen too many people that's caring. I see a lot of fighting government races, $200 billion. Give Inglewood $1 billion. Mayor race, $1 million. Paul doesn't have, give Inglewood $1 million. Alderman race, give Inglewood $100,000. Mm-hmm. NBA championships, send us some. Soldier Field, send something. Do something, because you got them people in Inglewood, I can't even start with naming. He done been in there. They're doing great work. But everyone I know in Inglewood, they need economical empowerment help. Thank you. That's awesome. Liam? I I do think that a coalition across Chicago, when we don't have these institutions that represent community voice, where we, it's possible for politicians to make the decisions without any of us in the room, and sometimes even without the researchers or the practitioners. Mm -hmm. But they can say, this is what we think the researchers are saying, and that's good enough. And then they're able to derail communities of color and to attack communities of color. So I want to continue to engage in conversations like this so we can think about how how do we interrupt that. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.